0: let's look at what's going on here in Genesis. In chapter 20, Abraham comes up against a guy. Uh, He's a king, Ahimelech, um, and um, Abimelech. Ahimelech's another character. Abimelech is a king. Abraham does the same thing he did with the Egyptian Pharaoh back years earlier. He lies about Sarah. He pretends that she is his sister. He even makes up this A story that she's his half-sister. The genealogies don't bear that out, by the way. But I I don't get this guy. God blesses him and blesses him and protects him and saves him, and yet he's still throwing out lies. Then, finally, at age 90 for Sarah, 100 for Abraham, the son of promise, Isaac, is born. It's a beautiful thing, and yet it's interrupted very quickly as Hagar and Ishmael are sort of cast away. And so they go out into the wilderness, Hagar's all upset, she thinks we have nothing more to drink than this little bit, I'm going to put the boy under this bush, I'm going to go over there so I don't have to watch him die out here in the wilderness, and yet God shows up, and God said, no, 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 Hagar, remember, I'm going to make this boy a great nation. Now today, we would think primarily of Arabic peoples, not only that, so you'd have to go back and listen to my full message on that, but primarily... And so from the lineage of Ishmael, in fact, there would be many great nations that would arise, but always attention, always attention with the people of God, the Jews, and then even later the Christians. And so what we find is that all this is taking place, Abraham then makes a covenant with this king named Abimelech, and he kind of sets up this, hey, you keep your place over there, I'll keep my place over here, everybody will be okay, but then God does something really interesting. And what I want you to get today is this simple truth. Where God guides, God provides. Now, this is going to be a very familiar story to you, so let's look at it from maybe an angle you haven't quite looked at it from before. But i I got to get you to get this, because I'm still learning this. I'm still figuring this out. And I'll be honest, y'all, I still struggle with this one. Sometimes I still want to figure it out and have all the logic in place before I step out in faith. But I think we all tend to make excuses sometimes. I think we say, well, I can't do that, and I can't do this thing. I can't give this. I can't go there. Whether it's given our time, our talent, our treasure, whatever it is, it's easy to say, well, I can't do very much for God. I'm no Abraham. I'm no David. I'm no Paul. Well, all of those guys had plenty of problems too. I'm no Rahab. Good. I hope you're not a prostitute today. If so, repent. Jesus loves you. Come to the faith. But here's the thing. We always make excuses, don't we? Y'all have heard variations of this, but y'all remember old Noah. God delivered him out of the ark, and then what happens? He's a drunk. Abraham is too old. So is Sarah. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Poor Leah. Do y'all remember Leah? She was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was a scaredy cat. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. If I could have it, I'd have long hair. I'd look more like Jesus. So listen, Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Y'all know about old John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist ate bugs, man. He was a weirdo. Yet God used him. Peter denied Christ. The disciples often fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. Any Marthas in the room? See, now you worried that I just asked you. Martha was worried about everything. Samaritan woman divorced many, many times and shacked up with a dude that wasn't her husband. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious and so was Jesus. And yet God had a plan for every one of them in his story. That's history. And God has a plan for you in his story story. You can make every excuse you want to make. I'm to this, I'm to that. I've done this, I've done that. I ran from God for years in the call to ministry because I let the enemy convince me that I couldn't. When I recognized it wasn't about me and that I would never be able to, but God can do whatever he chooses, it changed my life. It changed my trajectory. It changed what I could lay down before the Lord. And most of us preachers will take this passage in Genesis and we'll spend, talking about, spend time on Abraham and his obedience. And rightly so. Abraham was obedient. Abraham was a great man of faith in this text, even though he was a bozo just a little bit earlier. But I really want us to look at the main character. Isaac's not the main character. Abraham's not the main character. If you really pay attention to the way this thing is written, God himself is the main character. So stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read most of 22. I'm going to go somewhat quickly. Now it came to pass after these things, after the covenant with Abimelech, that God tested Abraham. Remember, the story starts with God, it ends with God. And he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Now look at the screen real quick, guys. You see how the word son is in italics? That means it wasn't in the original Hebrew. The word is monogenes from the Greek. When we translate the Old Testament into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. And in the Greek, it's monogonase. I'll unpack it for you. But it just says, take your son, your only, or your only one. But we add son there again for clarity through the translation theory. So take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I didn't get into this in the first service, but there's a lot of important things about the location of the sacrifice that would play out in biblical history. We'll come back to that one of these days. And so Abraham said, Lord, that's a crazy request. You've finally given me this child. Now you want me to kill him? Is that No, it's Lewis' response. Abraham's response is quite different than my response. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And he said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. He's my kind of talking right there. He's a country guy. We will go yonder and worship, and I love the plural pronoun, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, so the little guy is big enough to help carry the wood. We don't know how old. Many scholars say maybe 12-ish, we just don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but old enough to understand, old enough to help carry the wood that he himself would be slayed upon and burnt upon, Possibly. He laid it on Isaac and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham and he said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself. See, God's the main character. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering so the two of them went together and it came to the place where God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in the order and he bound Isaac his son, this is the part as a daddy that starts to blow my gourd here he bound Isaac his son, laid him on the altar upon the wood Abraham stretched out his hand, he took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham, Abraham and he said here I am And he said, Do not lay a hand on the lad, nor do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, again repeating, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son, substitutionary atoning sacrifice. That's where we get that, a precursor, a picture, a foreshadowing of Christ himself. fourteen. And Abraham called the name of the place, we would say it in modern uh, translation, Jehovah-Jireh. It would be yahweh Yireh in the Hebrew, yahweh Yireh, and it would be Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. Again, he's the main character. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord. Who else could he swear by other than himself? So help me, God, we would say. What does God say? So help me, me? I mean, there's nobody greater And so he said, I myself have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing, look at that, causality, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, the third time that said, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. They're going to be tough. They're going to be conquerors in your seed and who's in his seed. Well, ultimately, Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God, has all these sons, one named Judah. Judah eventually would give birth through his line to David, and through David would come Jesus. So eventually, from Abraham's seed, everybody's going to be blessed because, watch, you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and that's where Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Heavenly Father, I know a lot of folks probably know this story. They've heard this story or very uh, parts and pieces of it. But I pray today that we would not spend too much time focused on the man, but we would focus on the God who gave to the man and who prepared the man and who, who allowed a substitutionary sacrifice to be used in place of the promised son. And God, help us to remember today that your promised son is our substitutionary sacrifice. He is the one who atones for our sin. You're not calling us to understand that today. You're not calling us to figure it all out, but you are calling us to believe, to receive, to accept his sacrifice on our behalf. So I pray today that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then as we leave this place in a bit, hands and feet to live out the truth that's before us, to be not just hearers but doers of the word and lavish in giving as you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. Let me give you some encouragements here that remind us of the truth where God's God, God provides. If you've got a notes, a grace notes, God provides everything we need for a genuine sacrifice. And we're going to start with God. We're going to end with God. We're going to focus on what the Lord is doing. In 2, 12, and 16, I want you to notice something I pointed out in the reading. Take now your son, your only son. That's 2. In 12, I know that you fear God. You've not withheld your son, your only son. In verse 16, I have sworn by myself, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son. Now, I told you, if you were listening carefully in the review and the lead up to the message, that Abraham had another son. He had it by the maidservant Hagar. His other son's name was Ishmael. So is God somehow forgetting? No, of course God didn't forget. He just provided for Ishmael and his mom in the wilderness. God didn't forget. But what he's saying is, I gave you one son of promise. Now, you rushed ahead of me. You slept with your wife's maidservant got ahead of me and outside of my will. But you have one son of promise. The son that I would give you in your old age. The son through whom your descendants will multiply and all the earth will be blessed. Again, remember the big picture, the meta-narrative, the big story. Abraham has Isaac and Esau. But Isaac has Jacob, who wrestles with God and is renamed Israel. He has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. From the lineage, as I said in my prayer, we eventually get the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are fascinating people in the genealogies of Jesus interesting people, incredible people who seem to be at the end of their rope, at the end of hope. A lady like Ruth, a young widow girl who had nobody. And yet a kinsman redeemer came along named Boaz and they would have a child, Obed, who would have a child, Jesse, who would have a child, David, who would eventually have children who would have Jesus. And what we find is that God said, I've given you this child now, are you willing to give him back? Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17, we read, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Have any of y'all heard the phrase before, only begotten son? What verse do you think of when I say only begotten son? Yeah, I mean, I think most of us learned it like, if you learned it like I did in King James back in the day, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's simply a combo word in Greek, monogenes. Mono means one, of course. Genes like generation. The one and only, the unique, the utterly unique one. Same word is used here when the Hebrews translated to Greek, your one and only son. And so the very sacrifice Abraham is being asked to give came from God himself. That means this, God will never put more on us than he puts in us. God gave him this son through his seed, through Sarah. God gave it to him and now God is asking for him back. Now what was Isaac thinking? He's clearly old enough to understand something's going on here. He clearly understands enough about the early sacrificial system that if we're going to go slay the animal and build a fire as a pleasing aroma to the Lord because God says you've sinned, the wages of sin is death, death and sin separate you from me, so you have to make a sacrifice, and one of those sacrifices is a burnt offering. You slay the animal, you spill its blood, you light it up, and it literally makes a symbolic aroma before God And so Isaac clearly gets it. You got the wood. You got the fire. You got the knife. You're building the altar. And the little dude is looking around going, hey, Dad, um, where's the lamb? Now, there's no indication that Abraham said, congratulations, boy, you're it. Because that's a little sick and twisted, right? But what does Abraham say? Oh, son, God will provide. He says it in verse 8, he repeats it again in 13 and 14, sure enough, they look over and when the angel, uh, Abraham is way up here ready to plunge the knife, I can't even fathom that, but he's ready to plunge the knife into his son and, and maybe he believed God would raise him from the dead. I'll show you why I said that in a little bit out of Hebrews. We don't exactly know what's going through Abraham's mind. I'm sure he was sweating, I'm sure he was, he was, his mind was racing, but the angel says stop. Now I know you fear God. Don't do that. And Abraham looks, and there's the substitutionary atoning sacrifice. They're caught in the thicket. Not of its own will, but a ram. A ram caught by his horns. God did provide. Jehovah Jireh showed up. And it's a reminder of James 1:17 and 18. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation, no shadow of turning. It means this, the world changes, things get chaotic, we don't understand things, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a first fruits of his creation, meaning God has a plan for us, God will provide for us, but we have got to learn to trust him, even when it looks impossible. God, I'm so old, I've waited so long for this kid, now you want me to kill him? None of that argumentation is recorded in the Bible. Might have been running through Abraham's mind, but it's not recorded in the Bible. You know, I, I've told you some time ago about my buddy Eddie. My buddy Eddie over in northwest North Carolina is the one that taught me how to turkey hunt. I grew up hunting everything there was except we didn't have many turkeys in central North Carolina at that time. In fact, the population of wild turkeys around the nation has really risen due to the conservation efforts of the hunting community and uh, the efforts to to keep things um, natural for wild turkey. And so... um, That particular morning, I wrote it down, and I have the the mount after we we ate the animal, but it was April the 28th, 2005. It's hard to believe it's been over 18 years ago when I started turkey hunting, but it was about 7 a.m. in the morning, and it was the perfect morning. And Eddie is a premier turkey caller, makes his own calls, and he called in this beautiful big tom, all swelled up, and I shot, and some of you may remember me sharing this in the context of a different message, but I saw the bird do his thing, and clearly I got him. We ran over about 30 yards, and I'm about to pick him up. Look at this! And he said, oh, uh, uh, Pastor, look, if we could say thanks. Now, Eddie's a baby Christian, a brand new believer in the Lord Jesus. he just gotten saved, I believe it was earlier that year. And I'm thinking, well, I'm the preacher, man. What are you talking about? But he taught me. I had hunted my whole life, and I had always run over to things, but I had never slowed down and recognized. It wasn't his premier turkey calling, though that was great. It wasn't my shot, though it hit its mark. God had provided for us in that moment. God had provided for our table and all of you that are out there going, well, you know, look. We shouldn't hunt things. We shouldn't kill things. Listen, it's like the guy showed me the meme this morning. Vegetarian is just an old Indian word for bad hunter. Okay, so I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Goofy. So here's the thing. He taught me a valuable lesson that that beautiful bird and delicious bird was a gift from the hand of God. I don't think we often think about it that way. I know you probably pray before your meal, but do we think about God's hand creating and providing as the Bible teaches us, by the way, post-flood, arise, kill, and eat, as the Bible teaches us. But notice the difference in 8 and 13. In 8, God will provide for himself the lamb, but what he actually gave in 13 was not a precious little lamb, but a ram. Different. Because several thousand years later, in fact, God would provide the Lamb. You remember the declaration of John the Baptist over there in John 1? I believe it's 29, when he beholds, look, Jesus is coming toward him and he says, Behold, look, pay attention, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus would be the lamb. Now the second time he comes, he's also the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion and he is simultaneously the lamb. He is God's ultimate picture of provision and genuine sacrifice. It is the perfect substitutionary atonement. Just like me, I was the one that deserved to be laid down I was the one that deserved the nails, the crown of thorns. And by the way, lest you think too highly of yourself, Romans twelve three, as we have a tendency to do, you also deserve the nails and the crown of thorns. And yet Jesus Christ was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for you and for me and for everyone who will trust in him. For Abraham, thousands of years ago, and for us today, God provides everything we need. In fact, my, my understanding even of giving was revolutionized by two things. Getting this concept and my sweet wife who said, we're going to do this because it's biblical. I mean, I used to be the guy that if a plate came around in church, I wanted to make change, man. I didn't want to give too much, you know. But she helped me and God helped me through the word understand that if it's in my wallet, which there's often very, very little cash. I actually have $26. That's amazing. It's, if there's money in there, you know what? It's because God put it there. Because God allowed me to work or do whatever to put that money right there. God provided. And when God asks us to open our hands back up and give something back, and far more than our money, imagine being asked to give one of your own children. Imagine being asked to do what Abraham's being asked to do. God provides everything we need for a genuine sacrifice. Don't miss this truth, though. We see it very clearly in verse 5. A genuine sacrifice is an act of worship unto God. Do you see it? Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go over yonder. What is yonder? That's a little further than a piece, okay? We're going to go a little piece. They're going yonder. I don't know exactly. I could have measured it out where I came from. Go over yonder, and it says, we will worship. And then he got, very interesting plural pronoun, and we will come back to you. Abraham's faith in this moment seems to be so strong that he recognizes God can do something miraculous. Now, I believe, just Bobby talking here, I believe Abraham may have thought he would slay his son and by the power of God he would live again like Mary and Martha said about Lazarus. Hey, Jesus, why weren't you here? He's dead, but we know you're the resurrection and the life. We know you can bring him back. But I think, and you say, well, where do you get that? Listen to Hebrews 11. We're going to get to Hebrews 11 one of these days, but listen to Hebrews 11, 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he, re, he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, monogenes, of whom it is said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now listen. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Hmm. So the writer of Hebrews is also believing, and since Hebrews is fully the word of God, I believe it's safe to say that Abraham's thinking was, I'm going to give my son to the Lord and the Lord will raise him up. Whether it's back physically or into a resurrected state, God can raise this child. And I believe he thought physically. But then the writer of Hebrews said, he was given to you from that same state of deadness. What does that mean? It says in a figurative sense. Well, the, the womb of Sarah. Remember, The Bible calls this this aged womb, this 90-year-old womb, dead. And so Abraham's figuring, well, if God can bring forth life from a dead womb, God can bring back life even in the sacrifice. What does it mean? Well, Abraham's worship of God is brought about here by his faith and his obedience. Because faith, see if y'all can finish this from uh, Romans 10. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the? Word of God. Did Abraham have a word from God? Of course. Get up. Go over here. Take your son. Sacrifice him. Do we have a word of, from God? Now, I know what some of y'all say. If I could hear God audibly, I would obey him. Friends, mm-mm. That could be a bad batch of pizza you ate last night. Don't be waiting for some fuzzy sound. You've got the voice of God more clearly Even in Abraham. It wasn't even written down in Abraham's day. It wouldn't be written down until Moses comes on the scene later. You have the word of God. But if I could hear the voice of God, what do I tell y'all? Read it out loud. You just heard from God. If you want to hear the voice of God, read it. If you got to read it aloud, read it aloud. And you say, yeah, but that's not the same thing. No, it's even more. It's even more secure It's even more clear, it's right here in black and white, or if you got the right kind of Bible, red and white in the New Testament, right? And so here's the thing, we have a word, we have promises from God, 2 Corinthians 9, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and when you sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully, so give as you purpose in your heart. That's not just a money thing, y'all. That's all of it. Give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you, having sufficiency in all things, will have an abundance for every good work. God says, that's why the old preacher says you can't outgive God. Because when you give to the Lord, time, talent, treasure, whatever it is, God just pours the blessing back such that you can't even receive it all. But God cares about your attitude more than your amount. God cares about your heart. God cares about what you are willing to give him, all the way to your children or your children's children. I read a story about a time when a man's son was celebrating his sixth birthday. Little Billy mentioned he'd love a party with his buddies and he was normally very specific about the presents he wanted each year. So his dad, Bill, thought he'd ask his son, hey, what do you want? And he figured the little kid would tell him exactly like, oh, dad, I want a baseball glove. You can find it in aisle six of Academy right near the batting helmets. You know, he thought he'd be right on point. But Billy's request for his sixth birthday was different. Bill said, son, what do you want for your birthday? And little Billy said, well, dad, I was thinking I'd like to have a ball this year. Bill thought, man, that's a little unusual. He said, well, son, there are a lot of kinds of balls. What, what kind of ball would you like to have? And little Billy said, well, Dad, if you have some time this year to play ball with me, I'd really love a football. We could throw it back and forth in the yard, and, and that'd be great. He said, but if you're going to be really busy again this year, maybe you could just get me a soccer ball. I'll go down the street. I can play with some of the neighborhood kids. Little Billy's words cut his father to the core, and he went in the house, and he began to share with his wife what little Billy had said about having time to play with him. And Bill and his wife concluded this. Their son was not so much interested in the gift as he was interested in the giver. And I would say to you today that God is more interested in the giver than just the gift, but all of us have something we can have open-handed before God. Thankfully, Bill came to his senses and bought his son that football and then gave him the more valuable gift of his time. I'm going to say something I said in the first service. I didn't write it down and didn't even intend to say it, but I do believe God laid it on my heart. And some folks spoke to me even between service that confirmed I needed to say this again. We are blessed here with some stellar musicians, and I'm honored to to serve with these men and women who all volunteer and give of their time and their talent, and they play in this band, and they sing as praise team, and they, they go to the orchestra, and one of our orchestra guys helps lead the pride of the Southland, y'all. He is a stud. Are uh, y'all excited about balls football? I'm getting a little bit excited, but here's the thing. He told me they had like 415 in the band this year. Oh. i thought man if we love jesus as much as we love football we could fill this thing up hello see some of y'all out there have some musical gifts that you are not sharing i know you think the preacher always brings everything back to money there are things more important than money some of y'all have some gifts out there that you are absolutely keeping to yourself you need to join choir, band, orchestra, praise team, whatever. You need to get involved, folks. This is a brand new season, a brand new year, brand new stuff that Jeff and the gang are working up. Can I get a big amen there, Pastor Jeff? Amen, brother. I didn't tell him I was going to say this this morning, but he did give me a big amen in the first hour. The reality is this. Some of y'all are sitting, squashing the gift God's given you, some incredible voices, instrumentalists, band guys. You could come up and help us be that much better. Because as much as I love listening to them and doing what they do, we want to expand and and get into even some new things. And here's the thing, guys. If you just keep it to yourself, God will never increase that blessing. God will never grow that. Imagine if all of the Pride of the Southland players in that incredible band, if they just kept it to themselves. Man, they get out there with gusto. And when they give the symbols or the numbers or whatever their system is, and they go to the next piece, or especially when they break loose on some rocky top, They want to be there. They're proud of their team. They love what's happening on that field, and they're there to support and enhance, and they just make everything better. And some of y'all have a gift. And if you want to rally for Team Jesus, man, you ought to use what God has given you You ought to come to rehearsal Wednesday night. You ought to email Pastor Jeff or Miss Heather. You ought to call somebody, talk to somebody. You ought to give. You say, well, I don't think I'm that good. Thank you for making another excuse. God said make a joyful noise. Now, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, keep it to yourself. But I'm just saying, if you're musical at all, keep it to yourself. Are you worshiping God with what God's given you first? That's all I'm getting at. The widow only had two little copper coins, two things less than pennies, and Jesus said she gave more than all. Again, it's not a mound, it's not this, it's not that, so you say, well, I have less talent than him. Jesus was not at all upset with the guy who started with less as long as he took what he had and he invested it. He was not upset at all. Quit worrying about how much you have relative to how much they have. What you have, God gave you. Use it for his glory, including your children. God provides everything we need for a genuine sacrifice. A genuine sacrifice is an act of worship unto God. I would love to see the day when, again, the loft is full, the front of the stage with with worshipers and singers helping us, not doing it for us, helping us approach the throne of grace. Because the last thing holds true, whether we're talking about this text or our church, the worship of God brings countless blessings. And I don't mean you give to get. I don't mean you serve to be blessed, but you will be. And I'm not preaching health or wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, do these five things and God will bless you. Forward this message to 12 of your friends and you'll have $4,000 in your bank account. Man, you can forward that thing to 12,000 friends. You ain't getting no $4,000 in your bank account. Don't be silly. And don't ever use God as a cosmic divine genie. Well, if I just rub him the right way, he'll give me. No, 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 no. But look at what 15 and following says. The angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time and he said, by myself I've sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you and your descendants. See, your obedience today can pay dividends for those coming behind you tomorrow. The fact that you love and serve God today can bless your children and your children's children. And God said, I'm going to keep blessing them all the way down to the whole world because we find in his genealogical line, the Lord Jesus himself. Just like Malachi, the Italian prophet says, bring all the tithes. I know some of y'all are going to go, oh, he's talking about tithing. Just listen. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. See if I'll not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, there will not be enough room to receive it. God is simply saying, whatever I've given you, have an open hand and open heart. I may ask for it back, but you know what we tend to do? I'll just say this. I won't say we. Let me say me. I tend to focus on the problems too often. I could have a hundred nice things said and one bad, and I'm going to focus on the bad. Am I the only one, or is anybody else a little bit like that? You'll focus on the negative. Anybody? Anybody? So this service is full of liars. Last service, they were honest. You guys don't tell the truth. Okay, so that's a problem you should pray about. So seriously, does anybody else tend to focus on the worry and the problem more than the blessing? Uh, Now more people are getting honest. All right, now all at once, real quick, here we go. Group exercise. Tell me what you see. Go. Go. You see a P, are you sure it's not a, oh, duh. Okay, here's what we often do. We focus on the problem, the problem. This is what we see. It's there in front of us, it's glaring, it's the pain, it's the pressure, it's the people who drive us crazy, right? Life would be easy without other people. And so it's the people. Sometimes we focus and get depressed. We face delusion. Sometimes that horrible D word snatches those we love most away. It's not meant to be. Death was not in God's original plan. Such is the wages of sin. And we focus on all of these things. And yet there's so much more. Nobody immediately yells out, I see the poster board. Dale, will you help me out, bud? Nobody immediately says, well, "I see so much more than the pea. There's so much more there, pastor." Well friends, there is so much more here. But see, the eyes of faith aren't like these eyes rolling around in our heads this morning. The eyes of faith see beyond. The eyes of faith go to another realm. For those of you that grew up like I did in the '80s, you'll like this. It'll bring back memories. Would you take the lights down and hit the others, Sam? See, there's always more than meets the eye. And if you'll really pay attention, my friends, there's potential, not just problems. There's provision, not just pain. There's protection and mercy and grace and healing, God's faithfulness and goodness, a mighty God who will take care of you. But here's the problem. We go in our own light and power, and those things quickly disappear, and all we see again are the problems. We think we can figure it out on our own, and yet we don't have the light of God, and so it looks like nothing but the pain and the problem. And yet all along in this invisible, unseen realm, there's always, always so much more. And I need you by faith today to see beyond what your physical eyes can see. To understand beyond what your finite brain can take in. I cannot process why a God who made the universe and everything in it would even care about a bug like me. I can't even process why he would call me to serve him and to use my pitiful little life for his glory. But I think it's because he says... You're not pitiful, and you're not a bug. In fact, I sent Jesus, my only begotten son, to pay the price, to make provision for your salvation, to protect you. You see, oftentimes, I don't look with the eyes of faith. and God's blessings quickly disappear, and I get depressed. And I get down. And I don't think I'm the only one in the room that struggles with that. Imagine there are some other folks in here who need a spiritual tune-up. And need to learn to see the world through the lens of faith and scripture. And so, I want to remind you of one of my very favorite poems that's ever been written. Because I think it speaks to me, and I hope it will speak to you tells you the level of my thinking. Are you ready for it? Should be the last thing on your outline. Did y'all get, God does not want equal gifts but equal sacrifice? Did I give y'all that? Yes. Let's look at this poem. As you travel down life's pathway, may this ever be your goal, keep your eye upon the donut and not upon the hole. That's a great statement. That'll bless you. That'll bless you now. The thing is, you know, it's not just kids who look at it and say, oh, there's a hole in the middle, I want more. We so focus on what we don't have in the center that we miss the blessings all around. And you know, Abraham could have whined and complained to God and said, but you can't take away this child. This is the child of promise. Hagar and Ishmael have already been cast away. For all he knew, they were dead somewhere. God, you can't take away the son. And God said, no, Abraham, I'm showing you a foreshadowing that I'm going to give the son. I'm going to give all that is needed because just like Abraham who lied and and made up all manner of craziness throughout his life, you and I are far separated from God in our sin. And there's no amount of effort or so-called goodness that we can produce in us to work our way back to God. And so God came to us. God sent the sacrifice to us. And in Jesus Christ, you have not a lamb caught in a thicket, but a willing lamb who laid his life down and paid the price for your sin, taking your place. He was buried and by the power of God raised to new life the third day. And if you will trust in him and learn to look at things through the lens of faith and not fear. God will bless you beyond all you could imagine. As the band comes up, I want to ask you this question again. i have typing it in my notes. I said, how many of us are more focused on the problems instead of the potential for God to work and move and grow and stretch us? How many of us are focused more on the problems than the potential for God to work and move and grow and stretch us? And I immediately in my heart said, sometimes I tend to focus more on the storm than the rainbow. And when I wrote that, when I wrote the word "God stretching you, I thought about my old baseball days. I thought about the days I was doing shows where I had some crazy dance person I'm not one of, and they were like, well, you got to stretch out so you don't hurt yourself. Or a coach, you got to stretch out. And I am the least flexible guy I know. I am just flexible enough to climb a deer stand and get back out. That's all the flexibility I need. But I am not flexible and I did not like stretching. Stretching hurt me, but they kept trying to convince me that the stretching was good for my body. Was Abraham stretched here? <laughs> Man, you better believe it. Will you be stretched when you commit to follow God? You better believe you'll be stretched and tried every single day. But when you are stretched, always come back to this truth. Where God guides, God provides. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.